0: Welcome to Walking Together, a podcast all about encouraging each other as we follow Jesus together. I'm your host, Dennis Lavelle. Let's start walking. Dennis and I have been having some discussions lately about our words and how they affect others, so he asked me if I'd be willing to share some thoughts with you today on the podcast. I've been reading a book these last few weeks that God has been using to convict me and get me to take an honest look at some things in my own life. The book is by Sharon Janes, and it is titled, The Power of a Woman's Words. It's a very good read. I would encourage you all to get it. Researchers say that the average person speaks at least 2,000 words a day. Well, the average man speaks at least 2,000 words per day. Women, we speak a little more. Researchers say that we speak as many as 10,000 words per day. My question to you today is, how are we using our words? The dictionary defines encouragement as the act of giving somebody support confidence or help. On the other side of the pendulum, discouragement is defined as a loss of confidence or enthusiasm. When God created the universe, he gave the gift of words to only one of his creations. That's right, us, human beings. We're the only ones that he entrusted with the power of words. But with that gift comes great responsibility. So my question today is, are we using our words to build people up Or are our words actually tearing people down? We can all think back to something somebody said to us that has stuck with us. It might have been a word of encouragement that has encouraged us in our journey, or maybe it's something negative someone said that you have never been able to forget. And chances are it was a family member or a close friend, which just goes to show us that our words can have a huge effect on people, especially those closest to us. I don't think any of us try to intentionally hurt others with our words, but let's be honest. We've all uttered words that we wished we could snatch back immediately, but alas, it was too late. So my goal today is to encourage you to intentionally be aware of what we are saying to others. The Bible tells us plenty about our tongues and the words they utter. Let's take a look. Proverbs 12.6 says, The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright delivers them. So simply put, our words have the power to destroy, but our words also have the power to build up and repair. In Proverbs 18.21 we read, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So again, we are being told that our words can either destroy someone or build someone up. Words are so important that Jesus tells us in Matthew 12:36 and 37 that we will be held accountable for our words. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Jesus also tells us that the words we speak are actually an overflow of what is in our hearts. So if we are uttering negative words, we need to do a self-evaluation of what's in our hearts. God does not give us an option on whether to be an encourager or not. He commands us to edify and encourage one another. Hebrews 3.13 tells us, but exhort one another every day. In 1 Thessalonians 4.8 we read, therefore encourage one another with these words. We also read in Hebrews, let us consider how we may spur one another to love and good deeds. Romans tells us that we should build each other up for good. In 1 Thessalonians we are told again to build one another up. In Romans 1, we see that as believers, we should strive to build each other up and mutually encourage one another. Why does God have to tell us to encourage one another? Simple. Because He knows we need it. He knows that as human beings, we all need encouragement to keep us motivated, loved, and even sometimes to give us that little confidence that we need to keep going. Not only do we need encouragement for survival, but we also need to give encouragement— We need to learn to be good encouragers. So what can we do to be better with our words and become encouragers rather than discouragers? First, we need to strive towards and pray that our words are acceptable in God's sight. In Psalm 19.14, we read, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Secondly, we need to pray that God will help us control our tongues. Speak when we need to speak, and not speak when we need to be quiet. Proverbs twenty one twenty three reads, Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Let's pray that God will use our words for good, and that we will not be like the fools who get themselves in trouble with their words. We should also pray, as we see in Psalm 17, 3, that we will not sin with our mouths. Lastly, we see in Psalm seventy-one, fifteen, that we must focus on praising God and using our words to point others to Christ. I'd like to read you an excerpt from a book, Three Letters from Teddy and Other Stories. It is written by Elizabeth Ballard and is available on Amazon. Three Letters from Teddy Teddy's letters came today, and now that I've read it, I will place it in my cedar chest with the other things that are important to my life. I wanted you to be the first to know. I smiled as I read the words he had written, and my heart swelled with pride that I had no right to feel. Teddy Stallard. I've not seen Teddy since he was a student in my fifth grade class, fifteen years ago. But I'm ashamed to say that from the first day he stepped in my classroom, I disliked Teddy. Teachers try hard not to have favorites in a class, but we try even harder not to show dislike for a child, any child. Nevertheless, every year there are one or two children that one cannot help but be attached to for teachers are human, and it's human nature to like bright, pretty, intelligent people, whether they are 10 years old or 25. And sometimes, not too often fortunately, there will be one or two students to whom the teacher just cannot relate. I've thought myself quite capable of handling my personal feelings along that line, until Teddy walked into my life. There wasn't a child I particularly liked that year, but Teddy was most assuredly one I disliked. He was a dirty little boy, Not just occasionally, but all the time. His hair hung low over his ears, and he actually had to hold it out of his eyes as he wrote his papers in class. Two, he had a peculiar odor about him that I could not identify. Yes, his physical faults were many, but his intellect left a lot to be desired. By the end of the first week, I knew he was hopelessly behind the others. Not only was he behind, he was just plain slow. I began to withdraw from him immediately. Any teacher will tell you that it's more of a pleasure to teach a bright child. It is definitely more rewarding for one's ego. But any teacher worth his or her credentials can channel work to the bright child, keeping that child challenged and learning, while the major effort is with the slower ones. Any teacher can do this. Most teachers do. But I didn't. Not that year. In fact, I concentrated on my best students and let the others follow along as best they could. Ashamed as I am to admit it, I took perverse pleasure in using my red pen, and each time I came to Teddy's papers, the cross marks—and they were many—were always a little larger and a little redder than necessary. Poor work, I would write with a flourish. While I did not actually ridicule the boy, my attitude was obviously quite apparent to the class, for he quickly became the goat of the class, the outcast, the unlovable, and the unloved. He knew I didn't like him, but he didn't know why nor did I know, then or now, why I felt such an intense dislike for him. All I know is that he was a little boy no one cared about, and I made no effort on his behalf. The days rolled by and we made it through fall festival and the Thanksgiving holidays. I continued marking happily with my red pen. As our Christmas break approached, I knew that Teddy would never catch up in time to be promoted to the sixth grade level. He would be a repeater. To justify myself, I went to his cumulative folder from time to time. He had very low grades for the first four years, but no grade failure. How had he made it? I didn't know. I closed my mind to the personal remarks. First grade, Teddy shows promise by work and attitude, but he has a poor home situation. Second grade, Teddy could do better. Mother is terminally ill. He receives little help at home. Third grade, Teddy is a pleasant boy, helpful but too serious slow learner, mother passed away, end of the year. Fourth grade, very slow, but well-behaved, father shows no interest. Well, they passed him four times, but he will certainly repeat fifth grade, do him good, I said to myself. And then the last day before the holidays arrived, our little tree on the reading table sported paper and popcorn chains. Many gifts were heaped underneath, waiting for the big moment. Teachers always get several gifts at Christmas, and mine that year seemed bigger and more elaborate than ever. There was not a student who had not brought me one. Each unwrapping brought squeals of delight and the proud giver would receive an effusive "Thank you." His gift wasn't the last one I picked; in fact, it was in the middle of the pile, and its wrapping was a brown paper bag on which he had drawn Christmas trees and red bells. It was stuck together with masking tape: "For Miss Thompson," from Teddy. The group was completely silent and I felt conspicuous, embarrassed because they all stood watching me unwrap that gift. As I removed the last bit of masking tape, two items fell to my desk. A gaudy rhinestone bracelet with several stones missing, and a small bottle of dime store cologne, half empty. I could hear the snickers and whispers, and I wasn't sure I could look at Teddy. Isn't this lovely, I asked, placing the bracelet on my wrist. Teddy, would you help me fasten it? He smiled shyly as he fixed the clasp, and I held up my wrist for them all to admire. There were a few hesitant oohs and awes, but as I dabbed the cologne behind my ears, all the girls lined up for a dab behind their ears. I continued to open the gifts until I reached the bottom of the pile. We ate our refreshments until the bell rang. The children filed out with shouts of, See you next year! Merry Christmas! But Teddy waited at his desk. When they had all left, he walked towards me, clutching his gift and books to his chest. "'You smell like Mom,' he said softly. "'Her bracelet looks pretty on you, too. "'I'm glad you like it.' "'He left quickly, and I locked the door, sat down, and wept, "'resolving to make up to Teddy "'what I had deliberately deprived him of, "'a teacher who cared.' I stayed every afternoon with Teddy from the day class resumed on January 2nd until the last day of school. Sometimes we worked together, sometimes he worked alone while I drew up lesson plans or graded papers. Slowly but surely, he caught up with the rest of the class. Gradually, there was a definite upward curve in his grades. He did not have to repeat the fifth grade. In fact, his final averages were among the highest in the class. And although I knew he would be moving out of state when school was out, I was not worried for him. Teddy had reached a level that would stand him in good stead, no matter where he went. He had enjoyed a measure of success. As we were taught in education courses, success builds success. I did not hear from Teddy until several years later when his first letter appeared in my mailbox. Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know. I will be graduating second in my class on May 25th from E High School. Very truly yours, Teddy Stollard. I sent him a card of congratulations in a small package, a pen, and a pencil set. I wondered what he would do after graduation. I found out four years later, when Teddy's second letter came. Dear Miss Thompson, I was just informed today that I'll be graduating first in my class. The university has been a little tough, but I'll miss it. Very truly yours, Teddy Stollard. I sent him a good pair of sterling silver monogrammed cufflinks and a card, so proud of him I could burst. And now Teddy's third letter. Dear Miss Thompson, I want you to be the first to know, as of today, I am Theodore J. Stallard, M.D. How about that? I'm going to be married on July 27th, and I'm hoping you will come and sit where Mom would sit if she were here. I'll have no family there as Dad died last year. Fairly truly yours, Ted Stallard. I'm not sure what kind of gift one sends to a doctor on completion of medical school, but I'll just wait and take a wedding gift, but the note can't wait. Dear Ted, congratulations. You made it, and you did it yourself. In spite of those like me, and not because of us, this day has come for you. God bless you. I'll be at that wedding with bells on. Violet Thompson. This teacher changed the course of one little boy's life, simply choosing to use encouraging words and be an encourager to him instead of a discourager. I don't know about you, but I want to be the person who encourages the teddies that I run across in my life. I must admit that I too, like his teacher, have not always been the encourager that I should be. My friends, let our daily prayers be that we would take the opportunities to encourage and uplift those that God brings into our lives, even the teddies who are unattractive and maybe even a little smelly. Let us daily choose to use the power of our words for good. Well, I hope this has been an encouragement to you. Download it, email it to a friend, share it on Facebook, tag a friend, Write a positive review wherever you're listening to this podcast. That will help people find the Walking Together podcast easier. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time.